0: I preach to you God's Word this afternoon as we find it summarized and confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18. So let's turn to our catechism, page 532, in the back of our Book of Praise. Lord's Day 18, what do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us as members up to himself. And third... He sends us His Spirit as a counter-pledge, by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Scriptures teach that Jesus Christ has two natures, that he is both divine and human. He is God and man. And that doctrine led to much controversy in the early church. Some stated, believed that Jesus Christ was only God, he was only divine, and that what people saw was a spiritual body, a phantom body that only looked like a human. Others, on the other side, stated that he was merely a man, he was only human, and that his sonship of God was merely a term applied to him as a special recognition from God, that he wasn't actually divine nature at all. So the church, therefore, went to great lengths to state both of these teachings as heresy and further to clearly state and defend the biblical truth that Jesus Christ is both man and God, two natures in one person of Christ. And an example of what the church did, the great lengths it went to, we were blessed to hear and confess This afternoon in the Athanasian Creed. It's a creed that may feel at times tedious and in some ways strongly stated. For the question is why can't the church be allowed various views, or, or why is it necessary to state these various positions as heretical? And the answer is precisely because of the importance the importance of the two natures of Jesus Christ for our faith and for our comfort. In other words, what we're going to contemplate this afternoon in Lord's Day 8 is very important. When the Catechism deals with the ascension of Jesus Christ, then those two natures have very important considerations And we need to understand this and confess this for our confidence, for our surety about what has happened, about what is today, and about what is coming. So let's hear then about Christ's ascension and the matter of his two natures uh, from Lord's Day 18, and we do that under this theme, Christ's ascension into heaven is a double sure pledge for the church. Christ's ascension into heaven is a double sure pledge for the church. That's how we summarize the message this afternoon. And we'll consider two things. First, that there is a pledge in heaven. And secondly, that there is a pledge on earth. So first, we'll consider the pledge in heaven. The scriptures teach us, beloved, that the ascension... Uh, means Jesus Christ went up into heaven with his physical body. Remember, his body is not a, a spiritual body. It's not a phantom body. It's not just something that looks human. But Jesus truly was human. He was born of his mother, the Virgin Mary. And he took upon himself true human flesh. And with that true human flesh, Jesus went up into heaven. The disciples were watching and they saw his body go up. We're familiar with that idea from Acts 1 that the disciples saw Jesus going up until the clouds took him out of their sight. What's not maybe so familiar is the fact which we read in Luke 24 that Jesus was also blessing them. He was blessing the church as he was going up. That's the very last sight that the disciples had of Jesus. His hands raised in blessing. And the, the, the result of that is that Jesus continues to be understood as blessing his church. The fact that his body went up into heaven, that he ascended there with his human flesh, is part of that great blessing. Jesus, as you know, was a true man, born of the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. That's a very integral part of our confession, week after week. He is human flesh. He He is one of us. He is our brother. And the book of Hebrews puts it like this. He is like us in every respect. Yet without sin. And that's important. Because in order to be our Savior, not only did he have to be human flesh, he also had to be without sin. Only then could he take our place. Only then could he pay the penalty for our sin, which was death. Only then could he grant us his obedience, his righteousness, so that we might stand before the throne of God perfect. But here's the important truth as well. Jesus, having died, rose again with that same physical body, He conquered death and sin and then also ascended into heaven. Jesus keeps being on our mediator with his physical body, with his human flesh. Therefore, he is no longer on the earth. And that physical absence would trouble the disciples. Right? That's what the angels asked them. Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. Jesus has gone up into heaven. He will come again in the same way. The ascension, in other words, is a good thing. The fact that Jesus leaves this earth with his human flesh is a good thing. It indicates the progression in the history of our redemption. In other words, Jesus Christ is moving on to the next step of his redemptive work, the next phase in God's salvation plan. Think about it. The ascension means that the perfect human being, the very one who bore the penalty for our sin. The one who conquered death is the one going up into heaven, is the one who is entering into heaven's throne room, who is passing through the heavens into God's presence, the presence of the Holy God, where no sin is allowed. That's how Hebrews 4 put it our flesh has passed through the heavens our flesh in the bible flesh means different things often it refers to the old nature right you have to put off the life of the flesh paul says the sinful nature but that's not how we should understand flesh in this instance when we the bible says our flesh is in heaven here it is our Created being without weakness and without sin. And not just our body, but our whole humanity, our whole human existence. Our body, our mind, our soul. That's what went into heaven. That is what is glorified in heaven. And all of this, beloved, we read in our catechism, Is a pledge. It is a promise. It is a a guarantee that one day, like Jesus' flesh is in heaven, like our flesh is in heaven today, one day our own bodies will enter into that glorious presence. And that is a great comfort, isn't it? Because right now we can't be in God's presence. Not with these bodies broken with sickness and disabilities. Not with these bodies stained with sinful minds and hearts. But the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, our flesh, is a pledge that one day we will. One day we will be in the presence of God with our bodies that don't have sickness, that don't have disabilities, that aren't stained with sinful minds and hearts. And we can be totally sure of this because our flesh is already there. Christ, Catechism says, and it's just echoing the Bible here, Jesus Christ is our head, after all. We are his church, his body. As the head goes, so one day also the body will go. It's sure, it's a pledge. In fact, the ascension really means that our betrothed bridegroom is in heaven, making a place ready for us. You have to think here of the first century context in which the Gospels and the New Testament was written. Think of Joseph, who was, the Bible says, pledged to be married uh, to Mary. They were betrothed. That's the, the image that's coming out of Lord's Day 18 here when it says we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge. The picture here is of a bridegroom to whom the church is betrothed. You see, betrothal in the Bible is is more than engagement that we know. The engagement that we know can be broken. Sometimes that happens. It's heartbreaking, but sometimes it happens. And often looking back, we see that it was perhaps the best thing that happened. But, but in terms of betrothal, that was already a legal marriage, so to speak. It was a legal guarantee that only could be broken by divorce. In, in Jesus' day, when the husband was betrothed to his wife, so they were already called husband and wife in that sense, he vowed to take his wife to himself in due time when everything was ready. So from the time of the betrothal, that legal guarantee of marriage, the, the husband worked hard to ensure his house and home and his career was all in place, and then he would go and get his wife and take him take her to himself for, for his life. There's also that, that picture of John 14 that Jesus has gone to a place uh, where he's working on that mansion with many rooms. He's busy as a betrothed man getting ready the home for his wife who he will come to get in due time. And that betrothal, where the husband has gone on and, and he has betrothed himself to his wife, that betrothal meant the wife, the betrothed woman, could be 100% certain that the marriage was going to take place because of that legal binding. You could say the, the ring that we are familiar with in in marriage, has a similar effect. I should say actually in engagement, but it, it carries on in marriage as well. An engagement ring that the man gives to his future bride has that effect. It's a reminder of the man's vow and pledge and promise to marry that woman. Now this picture becomes especially true if the husband also has a ring at engagement. And in times past, that was how it happened. At engagement, not just the woman, but also the man put on a ring. And in this concept of Jesus being in heaven, you have to understand that as Jesus having a ring. Or put it this way, we can consider Jesus having a ring to remind himself of us, that he is busy in heaven preparing a place for us. Now, Jesus doesn't have a ring, but he has our flesh in heaven. Jesus is constantly being reminded, not that he needs that reminder, but it's a great comfort for us to know that Jesus constantly remembers his bride because he has the bride's flesh in heaven. Everything that Jesus is doing right now is for his bride. Everything that Jesus is doing right now has his return in view. That one day he's going to come back for his bride, for his church. His human flesh in heaven is a reminder why he is there. And it's an assurance to us as well knowing that all Christ is doing is for us. Our flesh in heaven gives us great comfort and surety. And that's great, that's wonderful, because our current situation is not perfect, and it's one of longing. Jesus Christ, in His human flesh, is away from us. We have not yet achieved perfection. The marriage feast of the Lamb is still a future reality. The state that we are in today is not perfect and yet it is not, it is temporary, it will not last forever. Now taking this image a little further, when the husband, the betrothed man is away, busy getting things in order to to retrieve his wife and to be married to her, what do you think The wife is doing. The betrothed woman should be doing. The bride doesn't just sit about doing nothing, awaiting for her betrothed husband to return. She's not doing nothing, just waiting for the marriage day. Not at all. The bride, rather, is busy. The bride is active, looking forward to that day. Getting herself ready. So also the church. In the absence of Christ's human flesh. Should be making herself ready. Christians should be making themselves ready. We should not be busy with our own interests. We should not be unfaithful. Hanging out with other suitors. No, all our energy should be for Christ. All our activity should be about His return. We should be getting ready for the wedding feast, doing everything for Him. Every waking moment must be dedicated and devoted for our returning betrothed. And as a result there should be already now, as it were, a recognizable ascension in our own lives as well, dying to sin and rising up unto new life. Not only because we know that Jesus is faithful in heaven, but because he has also given us a further pledge of his faithfulness here on earth. And that's the second point. There is a pledge on earth. Jesus Christ, our faithful bridegroom, who is busy preparing the place where we will dwell with him forever, has not only his flesh in heaven as a pledge to us, a comfort to us, that he is coming back for us, but he has also given us Another wonderful gift to increase our confidence and surety of his return, and that is, he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church. Our catechism puts it this way even though Jesus Christ is absent with us in his physical body, with his human flesh, he is never absent with regard to his divinity. His divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, we confess, are never absent from us. His divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. He is, after all, the eternal Son of God. And so, as the future groom gives a ring to his fiancée so that she is confident Further of his pledge to her, so the Lord Jesus gave his Holy Spirit to the church so that she might ever be uh, sure of his pledge. I mentioned already John 14. There we also read of that promise, that pledge, that Jesus Christ will give his Holy Spirit as another counselor. In other words, with the Spirit... The church will be constantly reminded and taught and encouraged about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will not draw attention to himself, but the whole task of the Holy Spirit for 100% is to give attention to Christ, is to comfort us about Christ. That word counselor is also a very special word in the original. It, it means literally The one who stands alongside another. The one who stands alongside another. That's a true counselor. Sometimes when a relative or friend or brother or sister in the Lord is going through a very tough time, then you may feel that you want to do something, but you don't know exactly what to do. You don't know what to say. You hesitate to go over there and, and talk to that person going through a tough time. But, but this concept of counselor helps us to realize it's not the most important thing. That we have some gem of advice or some wisdom to impart. No, the most important thing that you can do for a brother or sister or relative, a loved one who is going through a tough time is that you're simply there. That you simply are there even standing alongside that person. That you're there to put your arm around them in solidarity. That's the thing that is remembered the most. It's not necessarily what you said, but that you are just there. That's what a counselor does best. And Jesus Christ... Our loving Bridegroom has given such a counselor. Has given such a reminder and pledge of Him. He has given His Holy Spirit to dwell in us in a special way in the New Testament age. He's poured out through the Spirit gifts and power. By which, the Bible says, we can seek the things that are above where Christ is. The Spirit has given us The whole and complete revelation of God, for example. The Bible. So that nothing more is needed for our salvation and to comfort us in our sins. The Spirit also further awakens our conscience so that it is easier to serve Jesus Christ. The Spirit blesses us with special gifts so that we can dedicate ourselves better to Him. He has given to us ministers and office bearers in the church and He has given special talents and abilities to individuals in the church to be used for the kingdom. And so it goes on and on. That's what the Spirit is doing. That's what it means that the Spirit is here with us in a special way in this New Testament age after the ascension of Christ. Beloved, hearing all this, you surely know that if you have been living this life for yourself, then you're like a loose woman who does not care about her fiancé who is far away. Then you are living life for your enjoyment only. And you do not have your bridegroom who has pledged himself to you. You have not had him in your mind. And that is not a good thing. Rather, the ascension teaches us that through the Holy Spirit, we can be a faithful fiancé, a faithful betrothed, who does nothing else but look forward to and be active for the meeting of her bridegroom one day. Through the Holy Spirit... We, as bride, we, as individual Christians, can be faithful and resourceful and energetic and devoted to our husband, to our groom, Jesus Christ, and do all things for his future. We shall use our gifts collectively, individually, so that together, as Christians who belong to Jesus Christ, who are his body, that we're employing it all for the advancement and establishment. His kingdom. Beloved, this is what the ascension teaches us. And so, in conclusion, we can see that we have every reason to remember Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. We have every reason to be confident and sure and comforted of His return one day. We have every reason to be busy for His kingdom. For in the first place, we have assurance that Jesus will never forget us, that everything that Jesus is doing today is all about us because he has our flesh in heaven. And secondly, with assurance we can know that we will never forget him because he gave us his spirit as a sure pledge of his promises and faithfulness. Amen. Let's now respond by singing together from hymn 40. The Lord ascended up on high. The Lord has triumphed gloriously in power and might excelling. Hymn 40, all stanzas. Let's stand to sing.